Are any of you in that stage in your parenting life where your kids have started telling you stories that have absolutely no point to them? Right, you know what I mean? Right, where they, they, to be a good parent, you have to kind of sit there. You have to be interested even though you are bored out of your mind. Is anybody experiencing that pain, that new level of HE double hockey sticks right now? in your life. Now, I'm not a parent, but I do have a bunch of nieces, like a bunch of nieces, and one nephew, and the sheer pain of them calling me to tell me the greatest thing that has ever happened to them happened today at school, and that thing was that they found a banana in the playground at recess. Right, do you know how hard it is to be excited about them finding a banana in the playground at recess? I mean, I mean, one time my niece Annie, she, uh, she called us and, and she had this great news to share with, with her uncle Andrew and her aunt Christina. And, and the news was, was that she had a new name that she thought up for if her friends and her ever decided to become a band. I, she, they don't have any musical talent, but if they became a band... This was going to be their, their name, but only to discover midway through the conversation, she could not remember the band name. <laughs> right, so that was the whole call. She, she thought of a name, and she forgot the name. She loves us. Okay, bye. Hangs up the phone. Right, I'm not kidding. Right? This happened like recently. Right, I just got to say it, church. Good news. Good news is hard to come by. I mean, for, for me, I'm working with unknown band names and bananas at the playground here. I mean, just this week, SpaceX launched a rocket, and everyone was talking about it. They were so excited. This was going to be the launch that helps us get back to the moon as a nation. And so the day comes, and the rocket, it blows up just a few minutes after takeoff. Right, just this week. Now, luckily, there was no one on the rocket, but still, blowing up a few minutes in after takeoff does not seem like success. Right? But SpaceX and NASA, they both released a statement saying that this was a great success. That this, this launch that lasted four minutes was, in fact, good news, Foundry Church. Right? They didn't even say that the rocket exploded, though. Right? I, I love this part. They didn't say that the rocket exploded. No, they called it, and I and quote, right? I quote this. <laughs> this is great news. It was just a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Now, did anyone see that in the news this week? Because I lost it when I saw that. Right? Rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I mean, come on, seriously, the next time I build something and it falls apart, which is always the case, I'm just going to say, hey, you're looking at it all wrong, Christina. It didn't fall apart. It was just a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Or, or the next time I go to the doctor and I'm complaining about body aches, wouldn't it be hilarious if the doctor just looked at me and said, oh, you're fine. Right? It was just a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Right? And that's what Mackenzie experienced last week when she went to a trampoline park with, with her kids. Right? Jumping up and down on a trampoline, rapid, unscheduled disassembly of the knee. Church, I think I can safely say that, that good news, right? 
good news is something that this whole world wants, and sometimes we're just kind of grasping at straws to get it. I mean, really, we have to come up with terms, like rapid unscheduled disassembly, and we have to hear stories about a banana in the playground or forgotten band names. Right? Good news is a, is a commodity that we're all looking for right now, whether we say that out loud or not. Right? The world is certainly uh, filled with, with bad news and terrible stories. We, we know that. But who doesn't love a feel-good story to make you forget, even for a second, all the bad news? And we long for that, that good news. Now, real quick, I probably am going to spend too much time on this than what I should. But I did a little search of good news websites. And here are just a few of the stories uh, that I found. And I promise you they are better than your kids' and my niece's stories. Kind of. Just a little bit. But here they are. Here are the headlines. Right, the first one is this, a rooster, a rooster has fallen madly in love with a disabled hen named Basil. That was a headline within the last month. Now here's another one, a moose walks in Alaska hospital for lunch. All right, that was the good news segment of a local news station in Alaska. Right, now here's one, church's lost crucifix rescued from World War I, battlefield finally returned after 107 years. Now, that's just a cool historical story, right? Now, here's one. Cemetery posts personal ad for lonely goose whose mate died, and they want to find a match. Okay? <laughs> goose tinder. I like that. <laughs> now, in my personal favorite, the public gave names to snow plows in Madison, Wisconsin, and the winners, here are the winners, Right, you're going to love this. Good news. Salt of Miss Prime. <laughs> Snow would be Juan Kenobi. I, uh, Dolly Plowton. And Seymour Pavement. I love it. Right now, now, that's good news. It's not very deep news. Right? But, but according to these websites, that's the good news that they had to offer at that moment. Right now, true, most of the good news is about animals and finding a love match, apparently. But, but it just goes to show people are looking, grasping anywhere that they can possibly grasp for some kind of good news. Right? They're looking for something, anything. So Foundry Church, this is where we've been. We've been in this series called The Good News. And, and I wonder if we know what we're sitting on with what we're, we're, we're handling and dealing with. I, I, I wonder if we really know how good our good news is as people who are forging a lifelong reliance on God. And here's the thing, I don't think we really do know how good of the good news we have. Right? And that's not a bad thing. I just think we're a little, we're a little confused because our, our actions don't reflect how good our good news is, right? Think of it like this. If I find, and you can, I know you couldn't tell by looking at me, but if I find a really good new barbecue place here in Northern Virginia, well, I'm shouting it from the rooftops, right? I'm shouting it from the rooftops. If my wife finds an outfit on sale that she likes and she gets it and she comes to church and someone says, ooh, cute outfit, she will tell you exactly where she got it, right? Right? Oh, yeah, Target was on sale, right? <laughs> right? 
If we find a, a, a GIF or a meme online that we think is funny, we're sharing it. We're liking it. We're posting it on our, our story. We're even uh, texting it to our friends. Our worship team this morning was circled around a funny video that we were, we were sharing with each other. But we don't do the same thing with the good news, with the gospel, in the same way. And that's what gospel means. It just means good news. And why is that? I think it's because we don't really... Uh, understand it right, we just need some clarity and that's a that's a good thing because we can get clarity uh, i think we don't have the full picture of it and so for many of us the good news is just a it's okay news it's it's nice news it's it's a good thing to know or a good thing to even have but i think if we had the full picture of the good news of the gospel well i think things would be wildly different in our lives, especially as we forge a lifelong reliance on God. So let's go back to the summary of the good news that we were using last week to see kind of what we're missing, this complete picture. We were last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, please Use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are for you to have, as I say, to give away, to use, to keep. If you need a Bible, uh, take one of those, have one of those. There's two different styles down there, so pick the one you like the best. 1 Corinthians, it's a letter that is in the New Testament. So the Bible's broken up into two Testaments. You have the Old Testament, which is before Christ. Then you have the New Testament, which talks about his his life, his ministry, and then the start of the church that he started with his death, resurrection, and then the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. So towards the middle end of the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 15. Now use the table of contents if you need to. Now, if you'll remember, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinthian, in Corinth, he wrote this letter to the church, the Corinthians, because they had severely had gone off the deep end. Right? These people had lost their mind, and they were getting things really turned around when it came to their faith, to their forging a lifelong reliance on God. They were, they were getting drunk on communion, not a good thing. Right? They, were, they were having orgies in the church, something that the culture did at that time in, in, in pagan worship, and they were very confused about the good news, about the gospel. So Paul is reminding them of the good news, and in the process, he's saying, like, get it together, right? Get it together, pull it back here, figure this out. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 3 through 8, kind of picking up where we uh, were last week. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. All right, so he, he talks about the gospel, and then he says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That just means, right? Then he appeared to James, 
then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. All right, we're going to talk about that next week with our founder kids. Like, listen, this is, this is, this is crazy, right? So, so this is the, the story of Christ. And remember uh, we, what we learned about Christ last week, right? Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's who he is, right? It's the story of King Jesus. Christ means the anointed one. And who do you anoint? The king is anointed. So, so Jesus, the king, the anointed one, right, he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, right? And, and sin, I always want to make this clear every time I preach, right? Because sin has such baggage, and we think sin, we automatically think of one of the big ten, all right, the, the Ten Commandments. All right, yeah, that's a sin, doing one of those things, murder, adultery, all that stuff, right? But, but sin is more than that. Sin, sin in Scripture is an archery term, right? I just stole, I was with my family and some buddies this week, and I stole one of their bows, and it's in the car. I should have brought it in. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm getting it fixed for them. All right, taking it to a shop and getting it reworked for him. But I, but I stole his bow, right? And, and, and sin is an archery term. It's with someone with a bow, and they pull back that string, they pull back that arrow, and they miss the bullseye. And in fact, they miss the target altogether. That's what sin means, right? It's an archery term, right? It missed the bullseye, right? So that's what we have here, right? We have, we have a king the Christ, the anointed one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for the fact that, hey, we missed the mark with our life. Right? We, we've all can raise our hand to that. We've all messed up. We've all haven't been perfect. We've all missed the mark of what we are called to be or called to do. We always haven't been the best father, husband, brother, sister, mother, daughter, kid, right? Student, whatever, right? So he, he, he gives this forgiveness of our sins, was buried, he rose again, and then he, he started appearing to his followers, right? So no Jimmy down the road is doing that. No rando down the road is doing that. Only our king, only a king has that power to forgive, to reconcile, to restore. Only the king of kings our king, the God that we forge our life on. So, so why is this, this part that we read, that Paul finished with this explanation of the gospel, so important to the complete good news, to the, the story of the gospel? Why not just end the story with he rose again? Right? He, he, he kicked heaven in the butt, or he kicked hell in the butt, right? and now he's up in heaven. Why not just end the story there? I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Easter, the empty tomb, right? Not very, many, not very many people can say that they were dead for three days and then alive again. So, so why not end the story right there? Why include in the gospel, in the good news, what we just read, that he appeared to people, to all these, these different people? I think there are two reasons why this is important. One, to prove that the story is true. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. When there are, are this many eyewitness accounts, it's hard to say something didn't happen. Right? 
Right? It's hard to say that this didn't happen when so many people said, I was there. I saw him. Right? But I think that is only a small part of why it is included in the gospel in this good news. Let me read for you the verses uh, that we just read from the message paraphrase, a different paraphrase of the Bible. And I think it will make more sense to you. Just listen to this. The first thing I did, I, I was placed before you what was placed so empathetically before me. That the Messiah, right, the chosen one, died for our sins. Exactly as scripture tells it. That he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around. He then spent time with James, and the rest he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive also to me. That's Paul writing. Including including that Jesus saw all these people in the summary of the good news is to show that Jesus rose from the dead to get this, be with his people. Right? That's, that's part of the gospel. Jesus came out of the grave, rose from the dead to be with his people. Look, look at it like this, right? The good news of the gospel is that we get to be with Jesus. Get that grasp that, right? Now look at this, right? The good news of the gospel is not that King Jesus is the means of our rescue from damnation. King Jesus is the goal of our salvation. All right, we're digging layers here. We're peeling the onion, right? You see, I think we've made the good news, the gospel, into a sort of a new method for living life. We've made it into a new set of rules to follow for success. We've made the good news a a new self-help process. But the good news is not about how to make you feel better. Again, look, the good news of the gospel is that we get to deny ourselves and be with the best there has ever been, King Jesus. Standing in in the red corner at, you know, the universe, right? We're with King Jesus. The best that there has ever been. You see, church, there's nothing in and of itself that makes forgiveness of sins good news. Whoa, right? It's true, right? Whether being forgiven is good news depends on what it leads to. You could walk out of a courtroom innocent of a crime and get killed on the street. It just could happen, right? Forgiveness in that situation did not lead to anything good, right? Even escaping hell is not in and of itself the good news that we long for in the depths of our guts, in the depths of our soul, right? Not not if we find the idea of heaven to be massively boring, right? If, if we stop after my sins are forgiven or I'm I'm vindicated in the court, and I can go free, and I can, I can live forever, and don't even mention that we get to be with our king in front of his throne for all of eternity, forging our life on him, not just here and now, but for all of eternity, then we're, we're missing the point. Do you, do you know why 
we are forgiven, right? So that our guilt won't get in the way of enjoying God and a life that's forged on him. Look at it like this. Do you know why we are are vindicated in the court of heaven so that our condemnation won't get in the way of enjoying God for all of eternity? Do you know why we have new life and the promise of a new body someday? Right? So that we have the capacity within to finally enjoy God the way we ought to be enjoying our relationship with him. Like we would if we didn't sin as man and woman in the Garden of Eden. This idea is best summed up by the Apostle Peter in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Now 1 Peter is in the back of the New Testament, one of the last books. And you're going to want to look at this because you're going to want to circle it. You're going to want to highlight that. It's one of those verses. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 simply says this. For Christ, right, and what does Christ mean? The anointed one, the, the king. Right? For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us, bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Right? The, the suffering of Jesus, the, the life of the king on earth, was not in an effort to get us to read our Bibles more, right? or to be nice to our neighbor, or to love our enemies, or to live life abundantly even, though those things will happen, right? those things will happen because of, of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. But look, the suffering... And the life of Jesus, the good news, was all in an effort that we might have a full and unhindered relationship with the king. So that we can can have a full and unhindered relationship with the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the God that we forge our life by. You know, Christina recently did a podcast episode and it was so good that I'm going to steal it here. Um, and if you don't know, we have, uh, we have four podcasts here at the Foundry. Um, we, we want to equip each other uh, to, to continue to not just hear what we hear on Sunday, right, but to live it out. And that's what the podcasts are for. So there's the sermon podcast, the just me babbling again. You can listen to it again. But then there's the Foundry Kids podcast which is Pastor Jim and the kids, that our kids downstairs, will talk about the scriptures that they're studying and learning, their, their stories, and how they can apply that to their lives. So you can download that anywhere you listen to podcasts every week. Right? And then there's the Forged Woman podcast, which helps the women of the foundry take that next step. And then there's the Forged Man podcast, which is a little shorter than the Forged Woman podcast, but it helps us take the next step. Just kind of encourages us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to continue to do what the word says. All right, so make sure you're aware of that. And Christina did one a couple weeks ago that was really good, and so I stole it. She gave me permission. I, I think it illustrates this idea of what the good news is so perfectly that I wanted to share it with us today. It comes from the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. 
and it is the story of King David. Right? David has become king of Israel, and he has defeated the, the Philistines, and he's returned the Ark of the Covenant. So at that time, that was the presence of God on earth. He's returned it back to the people of Israel, and things are going great. Everything's going great. This is the golden age of King David's reign. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says this. Let me read it for you. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Is there anyone left that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a a servant of the house of Saul whose name was um, Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. So Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Ziba is saying Jonathan has a son, right? He is crippled in his feet. The king said to them, where is he? And Ziba said uh, to the king, he is in the house of Michar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. The king, uh, David, sent and brought him from the house of Michar, the son of Emil, to Lodabar. All right, let, let, me, let me stop right there. Right, so let me, let me just break this down real quick because there's a lot of names there and a lot of weird things happening. All right. David doesn't really have much to do. It's the golden age of his kingdom, like I said. And all is right in the kingdom of Israel. And while he's sitting there, he remembers his best friend from back in the day, Jonathan. And Jonathan's crazy dad, King Saul, who tried to kill David multiple times. And he asks, is anyone left from Saul's family that he can hang out with? That he can just show kindness to? Right, there's a lot of speculation from commentaries and different writings about why David does this, but that doesn't really matter. It doesn't. Right? It just matters that he did it. David searched for someone to be kind to, and he hears about uh, Meshibazbeth. I can't say his name. <laughs> All right? He hears about the son of Jonathan, Meshibazbeth. Right? I'm going to say it different every time. The son of David's best friend, Jonathan, a crippled man who's hiding away in a home that is not his own. He has no way to work because he cannot walk. He's living on the mercy of others, and David sought him out. Does that sound familiar? Right? I mean, it should, because in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, Jesus, the king, the Christ, right, came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so our king, King Jesus, did the same thing. He saw us while we were hiding away in our busyness, in our phone, in our shame, in our anxiety, in our disbelief. He sought us. He looked for us. Just like King David sought out Mishibosheth. So let's read on. 2 Samuel, verse 6 of chapter 9 says this. And Meshibbeth, different every time, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage and said, all right, Meshibbeth, it's getting worse. 
And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Do not fear, old Mishibabeth, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table always. <laughs> Think about that, right? I don't miss these two verses because some amazing things are happening here. First, we see a lame man, and he, he falls face first before the king. And, and listen, Mishibeth was probably terrified. He was probably terrified for most of recorded history up to this point. And even after this point, when a new king summons an heir of the old king, it's not for a good reason. It's usually for execution. Right? The new king wants to remove all doubt of this, this family members, of this other family's kingship. Right? The new king wants to remove any claim to the throne. But King David, well, he's too much like King Jesus to do that. So King, King David uh, says to Miss Fizzlebeth, don't be afraid. I did not call you here to destroy you. I called you here to restore you. You know, if you have your Bible, circle that word restore. You see, he was hiding away. He was broken. He was in despair forgotten, ashamed of what he had become with no real way to make things right. And then along comes the king, and he says, don't worry, I will restore you. I will make you whole again. And look what he says. David says at the end of verse 7, and you shall eat at my table always. Do you know who eats, who gets to eat always at the king's table? His family, right? His family, right? So jump down to the second half of verse 11, and it says this. So Mishbizabeth ate at David's table like one of the king's very own sons, right? David not, did not just restore this man's possessions. I mean, he did that if we read verses 9 and 10, right? But he did more than that. He made him like one of his sons. Now, doesn't, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like the, the true gospel? Yes, Jesus restores us. Right? But more than that, he adopts us. Right? He, he brings us to the throne room and he sets a place for us at his table because we're family. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says it like this. It puts it like this. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? God used the story of a broken man in the Old Testament to show us the picture of the gospel, the picture of a father bringing his, his shame-filled children home and letting them put their broken feet under his dinner table. The picture of, of a king seeking out people to be kind to and to be in a relationship with. Foundry Church. I don't think it gets much better than that, does it? 
Church, to believe the good news of the gospel is to accept the awesome truths that, that Jesus is king, right? That we are hopeless sinners, that we're always going to miss the mark. Every time we pull back that arrow and we shoot it towards the bullseye, we're just not good enough, strong enough, talented enough, whatever it is, successful enough, the top of our career enough, we have too much anxiety or depression, whatever it is that we have, we're not good enough, we're always going to miss the mark. Christ, the king, died and rose again for sinners. This great salvation is enjoyed by faith in Christ, the king. But even more than that, I mean, that's amazing, but even more than that, believing the good news is also, also to know that relationship with Jesus is the prize. So here it is, the good news that we have. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus bought for us the opportunity for everlasting relationship with God. Now let me repeat that, right? The, the good news, the gospel is the good news that King Jesus bought for us the opportunity for everlasting relationship with God. And church, foundry, if, if that is the good news, then we should do everything short of sin to share it, to live in it. If the gospel is not just another set of rules, if the gospel is just not another uh, thing to do on our busy list of things to do, if the gospel is not just another story about us, then what we have is good news like no other good news. We have good news that reframes us as people sought after by the king of kings to set a place for us at his table as now his son and his daughter. We have good news that changes our lives from the inside out because it changes us from the inside out. We have good news that, that for sure gives us a new way to do things for sure. It gives us a, a new way to look at things and to, to be successful at things but it also gives us a king to walk with us and to help us make those changes. Real quick, Christina and I, we've been reading through these new children's books. We're weird. We read a lot. So we read all kinds of books. And we saw some of your kids, grandkids, reading these books. So we thought, yeah, they look kind of cool. We'll read them. It's called the, the wing, wing Feather Saga. And they're super creative. And, and they're really funny. And... And not to give too much away, but, but at the end of the first book, the main character of the book, Janner Igaby, and his siblings, they learn the truth about their family and who they are. And Janner receives a letter from his father, whom he does not remember, who died a long ago, right? and their family's in hiding. And the letter his dad says, is, it says this. It says, it occurs to me how silly it is to be writing this to a two-year-old boy, but one day when you are alone, unsure, doubting yourself, you'll need these words. Remember this, you are an Anarian. Your father is the king. You are his son. This is your land, and nothing can change that. Nothing. Now listen, church, we live in a world that is doubting itself, doubting who they are, unsure of their identity, feeling lonelier than ever, right? They are, are uh, even though we're more connected than ever before, we're, we're lonelier 
than ever before. And God has written us this letter. He says, remember this. He says, remember this. Your father is, is the king of kings, right? You are his child. He has made a place for you at his table in his kingdom. And nothing can change that. Nothing. This is the good news that the world is looking for, Foundry Church. And God has sent us to help seek out his children. Guys, this is exciting stuff, right? Maybe, maybe your children are in the same grade as, as, as your children, right? There, there's children that we're seeking out, people that we need to, to, to let them know that they are a child of God and God is seeking them and wants a relationship with them and wants them at his dinner table. Maybe that, that person that God is seeking out is, is the person who cuts your hair. Maybe it's, it's someone that's on your team. Maybe it's, it's someone who works in the same office with you. Maybe you're in the same family as that person. They just live across the hallway. They don't know yet that God loves them. Right? That, that they can be a son and a daughter of the high king. Whatever the case, you know him. You sit at the table. Right? And, and, and you, you can try to convince um, God that he's he, he that there's enough people already at the table that it's that it's too crowded you might say God this one doesn't want anything to do with you so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let them be or maybe maybe you're thinking man I'd rather not be seen as weird I, I don't want anyone I don't want to embarrass myself what would they think if they if they know that I'm a Christian but this is what God says he says I want that one I want that one I got a place for him already set. And so that one needs to hear from us that there's an empty chair at a royal table with his or her name on it. They need to be told that Jesus is king, God is forgiving, and Jesus wants to get to know them. Now I'm going to have the, the band come up here. And listen, this, this good news that it seems like everyone in this world is looking for, there, there's, a, a, there's a story about a, a British criminal named Charles Pierce uh, from, like, way back in the day. I don't know, 1800s, 1700s. He was, he was condemned to death, and while he was, was taking what they called the death walk in Almany Jail in Leeds, England, the prison chaplain sleepily and routinely read... Uh, Charles, this, this criminal, some Bible verses. And Charles asked, what are you reading, chaplain? And the chaplain answered, the consolations of religion. And Charles was shocked by the way that the chaplain was reading with such little urgency, with such little concern. The chaplain had no emotion, no compassion, no tears. It was like he was just reading the labels off a cereal box. And so Charles started asking himself, does this chaplain even believe what he is reading? Is there at least a little conviction or a little compassion or even passion in the gut of this chaplain who's reading these Bible verses? And so when they asked Charles his final words, he says this. He says, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile doing that, right? That it would be worthwhile living just to save one 
soul. So I found a church. Out here in the lobby, I broke a bunch of glass. No. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to drag yourself across broken glass, but I am going to challenge you with this. Share King Jesus. The king that you're forging your life on for all of eternity. Look, the gospel is the good news that King Jesus bought for us the opportunity for everlasting relationship with God. Our king, come and seek and to save the lost is what he did. And he has given us that same mission. And we're a part of it. Now listen, you might be thinking, okay, that's for those, you're, you're saying if you follow Jesus, if, 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 if that's what they're supposed to do. And you're thinking, I, I don't really know who Jesus is. He's seeking after you. Right? And there's a, there's a verse that says all you have to do is you just got to knock and he'll answer. Now, there's no special door around here. But, so my challenge to you is to simply just say a simple prayer every day. God, show me more of King Jesus. And listen, another one of my favorite scriptures in, in, in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's kind of my, my life verse if I had one. And it says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, so that you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. When we say, Lord, show me King Jesus, I have doubt. I have questions. I don't know if he's real. But if we just say, Lord, show me more, he's going to show you more. So if you don't know who Jesus is, that's your challenge. But if you do, if you've made Jesus your Lord, Understand, he's your king, and he's called you to seek and to save just like he has done for you. That there's people, that there's places at the table, and he wants you to bring people with him. Let's worship him now. Continue to sing praises in his holy.